Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. It's the Easter holiday weekend here in the UK. We got some, some public holidays, so I hope people are able to try and enjoy those, even though we're in very straitened circumstances here. So try and spend some time with family, I hope, or or some time by yourself, which in my case sounds quite attractive. I spent plenty of time with family, I can tell you. Got my kids around the whole time at the moment, right, Zia? Certainly, yes. And they're pretty excited about the chocolate, the flow of chocolate that is about to engulf this house. Oh, my God, put some more chocolate. In the meantime, they're doing a lot of history. You're doing a lot of history with your grandpa, aren't you, Zia? Yeah, and I'm watching Horrible Histories. She's watching a lot of Horrible Histories. She's learnt more from Horrible Histories than she has from her dad. I'll tell you that much. Let's test your grandfather's history. Are you ready? Zia. Mm-hmm. Zia. What red-haired Boudica. queen, which king burnt the cakes that he was supposed to... King Alfred the Great. Name a castle built... Tower by... of London. How do you know what I was going to say? Because you asked me yesterday. What, built by William the Conqueror? Yeah. All right. I might have said Henry II. What have you said then? Dover. Have I told you that before? No. That's right. Nice work. What else happened at Dover? Remember what else happened at Dover? Who landed at Dover and jumped into the spraying foam, leading his comrades up the beach towards where the Britons were defending? Remember, I told that story hundreds of times. Julius Caesar. Oh, yeah. Remember? The guy jumped into the water. Oh, yeah. Come on, sharpen up, girl. Anyway, so... All right. <laughs> So this podcast is about Lord Byron, but it's actually not just about Byron. It's about his incredibly brilliant family and the wonderful historian Emily Brand, who's been on the podcast before talking about love in the 18th century, is here talking about one of the most remarkable dynasties in uh, modern British history. She's going to tell us all about why Byron, why the apple did not fall far from the tree. There were heroes, there were villains, there were lovers, there were fighters. No one was boring in the Byron family. And obviously, like me. Uh, like you. And well, actually, I was about to say, obviously, the real hero of this piece is Byron's daughter. Ada. Oh. Ada, Ada, Ada remember who's who Ada Lovelace? Um, she was a person who invented a computer and she was a mathematician. Pretty good. I'll give you that. So, this podcast is all about that. If you want to hear more podcasts, please go to historyhit.tv. It's my new history channel. There are hundreds of hours of history documentaries, hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, lots of great stuff on there. If you use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, you will get your first month of free and then you'll get the month after that for just one pound or euro or dollar. You're going to absolutely love it. There's plenty to watch on there. In the meantime, everyone, here's Emily Brand talking about Team Byron. So, Ada, 
place is Lord Byron's daughter. Good to have you back on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so cool. This is a monster, a monster. Okay, I've heard of Byron. Yes. I didn't know about the whole dynasty. So what, what is no. the dynasty? Um, well, I think when most people think of Byron, um, yeah, absolutely. If the, well, if they're not thinking of burgers, um, they are thinking of the poet because um, he was such a famous character in his own time, huge sort of rock star, um, and uh, has this amazing um, reputation both for his writing and for his scandalous sort of exploits as well. Um, but I wanted to shift the gaze a little bit, just backwards. So my book starts um, two, three generations before the poet. Um, so it's kind of a prequel, really. It's sort of the 1720 to 1798, which is when the poet inherits Newstead Abbey in Nottinghamshire um, as a 10-year-old boy. And then, um, yeah, it just traces them through wars, through revolutions, a lot of sex scandals. Um, and well, listen, it's like the Joker. It's like the Joker for Byron. It's the backstory. Listen, I'm going to ask you to do this. Let's go. Let's, let's get into it. Right. Let's go. Let's start the start. Who is the who is the foul? Who do you start with? And also, I feel a bit bad you started someone because that means their dad was like super boring. Who, who's dad? Who do you know? Like the first person you go, this is awesome. This guy's so dramatic and sex scandly. Yeah. That, but like, why did you not? There must have come a point where you go, no, he's really boring. Let's start here. Um, well, actually, it was uh, the very first thing that drew me into this whole story. Obviously, my, my history... Uh, research history is in sort of love and sex and scandal. So the poet is obviously, he was constantly intruding on that sort of thing. Um, but then as a separate avenue into this book, um, I just, I came across this portrait, a Thomas Gainsborough portrait of this woman, um, sort of 30 odd woman, um, aristocrat, dated around 1760. And I just fell in love with it totally. And then when I was looking up information who this was, uh, it turned out she was a Byron. She was his the poet's great aunt Isabella. So it was her that drew me into the story, actually. And then while I was sort of went down this rabbit hole of research and I found out about her um, eldest brother, who was the fifth lord, and he was supposedly a wicked lord and he was doing all these murders and all this business. And um, then the second brother had this amazing navy career and shipwrecked adventure. And I was just thought, I have to do something on these, a group biography on these three siblings. Um, there were two others, but they just weren't as interesting. But <laughs> so they, they don't yeah. feature so much. But um, so it, it was certainly these three amazing siblings that I just felt like I had to pull their stories together and tell it as one dynasty, really, a saga. Amazing. Okay, so we got the. Let's start with the. Let's start with the woman who you first. Uh, who was your entry point? What? What? Why was her life so interesting? Well, what first drew me was obviously this portrait, and she just looks. Oh, I don't know how to put it. She just sort of in intrigued me immediately. Oh, but that's games before you, man. I, I wish you painted me. I'd look intriguing, <laughs> even me. Um, yeah, well, she, she's just, uh, she's sort of really gazing very directly out. She's gorgeous looking. She's got, well, it looks like she's got lilac hair, which I just thought was great. It was a bit of, you know, pink and um, pastel coloured hair powder didn't exist in those days. So I do think she did go for a bit of a statement hairdo there. Um, but... There wasn't very much out, uh, out there about her at all, and so I had to start digging into proper archives without knowing if she was going to be interesting or not. Um, fortunately, there is a lot of her original correspondence to um, some of her friends and, crucially, to her second husband, who was this meticulous bloke who kept their 
correspondence over the course of 10 years from them in this secret whirlwind engagement right through until they have this terrible separation and she's sort of refusing to sleep in the same bed as him and all this. So I was reading this correspondence and um, it just gripped me totally. But and you found that? I've never seen it published anywhere. That's so, so cool. It was catalogued, which is how I um, came across oh it. Oh my god, you, that's like a tre you must have been, that must be so, it's to Might see someone in the painting and then to realise that there's yes. a whole archive. Yes, and then um, she's got a bunch of stuff at Castle Howard as well, which was, she became mistress of Castle Howard on marrying. So they've got a lot of, um, they've got the painting actually, and they've got a lot of her letters to her daughters as well. But she was just this brilliant, very headstrong, very romance-led woman. And I don't think you get that so often with 18th century women, where they're all sort of aristocrats anyway, where they're sort of uh, abiding by their etiquette and going to ballrooms and doing what they're told and marrying Mr Darcy and all this sort of thing. But she was desperate to find true love and she was going off with men 15 years younger than her and uh, well below her rank and eventually she sort of elopes to the continent with a German conman soldier um, and tries to pass him off as an aristocrat very unsuccessfully um, and sort of lives in disgrace with the man that she loves so yeah you know she's not changing the world in the same way that maybe her brother John was but um, I just thought her story was great. great. You've done that thing that so many wonderful historians are doing at the moment you just you just Doug, you've just excavated an extraordinary, overlooked and forgotten female character from our history. So that's so exciting. I've been really, really pleased that I've been able to tell her story on an equal footing with her brothers. Because in the Byron, in the Byron family, you have these sort of great nicknames of the male characters and they've got all these traditions and myths that have risen around them. But then um, Isabella tends to be totally forgotten or people will just say, oh, she was eccentric. And that's it. So it's been good to be able to figure out why people were saying that about her. So talk to me about her brothers then. Yes, yeah, so um, I suppose her eldest brother, um, he was a year younger than her, William, and he became the fifth Lord Byron. And he, in the course of the 1820s and 30s, so we're talking after the poet's death, so long after William's death, he becomes the wicked Lord. And there's this legend of... Um, this old reclusive lunatic who lives at Newstead and refused to, refuses to see people and um, has done the occasional murder and tried to murder his wife and all of these things. Um, and you will find these stories at the beginning of most biographies of the poet, modern biographies of the poet as well. Um, the same sort of things rattled um, out about him. So I wanted to get to the heart of what of that was true. I was wondering if I could maybe rehabilitate him a little bit. It turns out no, he was genuinely categorically awful, um, but he wasn't necessarily this sort of raving mad just murderer. Just really being, unpleasant. Yeah, just a horrible dude. Really. So these three siblings remind me, they are the poet's uncles and aunts. So you've got his grandfather, who's John, yeah. and then the eldest elder brother is William, who is the fifth lord, mm. so that's the poet's great uncle, and then Isabella is their sister, so it's his great aunt. Right, okay. There is a family tree in the book, so okay, people <laughs> Okay, so we got so we got the the fifth lord is awful. Yes, pretty much awful. Um, yes. and, and badly behaved in an interesting way or just unpleasant? Well, at the beginning of his life, he he he's got a reputation by about the age of twenty five for being a terrible coward. And all his neighbours are sort of 
saying, oh, he's got a very sad character in everything, is what one of his neighbours yeah. says. Um, but in a sort of cowardly, embittered, very entitled, actually, is what I mean to say, an entitled way. Um, as he progresses through his life, he just can't control his spending. He um, pursues an actress um, to the point of sexual harassment, really. He has a sort of abducted and tried to convince to sleep with him. Uh, loads of affairs. Um, and then the main uh, point in his life where he becomes most notorious is when he gets drunk at a Nottinghamshire club um, dinner and has a dispute, a very boring dispute about sort of estate management with one of his neighbours and then he ends up stabbing him through the stomach and killing this guy that he's known all his life. Um, so he ends up on trial for murder at the House of Lords uh, in 1765. So then sort of the Byron name there gets attached to this Does idea of duelling and villainy. And Does he swing for it? He doesn't. There's, there's a real um, feeling that he might because five years earlier, um, another lord has been, that's happened to him for, for yeah. killing one of his one servants. One of his servants, yeah. Um, in this case, he, he manages to turn on the charm quite enough just to be able to sort of convince his lordly peers that uh, he, he didn't kill him on purpose, it was an accident. And um, also he's got some quite high up relatives, sort of Lord of the Tower of London probably helps that he's got that, those connections. So he essentially, he just gets a fine. Um, and gets sent home in a in a chair that day after he's acquitted. In a chair. Mm. Okay, so and then dies a horrible, lonely old man. Basically, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, what about the other brother? So the other brother is John. Um, his name, he's gone down in history as Foulweather Jack Byron. And so he is the poet's grandfather. Um, and his is the only name and the only sort of legends that have risen up that I can trace to his actual lifetime, which I was really, really happy to be able to do because, you know, it proves that um, they weren't just all stories that were invented in the 19th century. But he went off to the Navy when he was 14. Um, and then when he was 16 to 17, he was involved in this amazing shipwreck um, just off the coast of South America. And then a subsequent five and a half year long journey of him trying to make his way up through Chile um, and then get back to England, um, encountering all these, er, anything that could go wrong goes wrong for him basically. Um, so he gets his first fame as a 22 year old when he gets home from that story. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb and on Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, I'm looking for answers to the big questions about every aspect of life in the early modern period. Like, how did the memory of Anne Boleyn continue to influence the court of her daughter, Elizabeth I? How were fairies brought to life on the Elizabethan stage? And how did the arrival of male-only doctors threaten the lives of women? In other words, not just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Twice a week, every week. Subscribe now and follow me on Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
And best nickname I've ever come across in history, Foul Weather Jack Byron. Yes, we've got Foul Weather Jack, the Wicked Lord Byron, and then Mad Jack, who is the poet's father. But the Foul Weather Jack is the only one I'm going to definitively say he had in his lifetime because oh that's, that's the only... That's very cool. I've actually heard of that story but I, and I knew it was a Byron but I didn't know that that was um, a relative of, of the poet. How yeah, absolutely. And, and the poet was super proud of his granddad. Um, he never met him. The Jack John died two years before the poet was born so he didn't know him. But he, the story seeps into uh, Don Juan. There's a scene in Don Juan where the hero it's just totally lifted and it, the poet has to actually say something along the lines of um, oh his sufferings were comparative to those related in my granddad's narrative but he has to name check his granddad because otherwise everyone would know he's just stolen all the details um, so yeah he was there's a good link there he's very aware of that and he story. went on to become an admiral did he he did yep um, he rose steadily through sort of the ranks I suppose he he after he got back, he got married, had a bunch of children. His poor wife was just constantly left. Every time he went off on a voyage, she was always one month pregnant. So she mm -hmm. went through this on her own the whole time, every single time. Um, but he sort of distinguished himself in the Seven Years' War and um, then was promoted to, I think it was Rear Admiral, just before the American Revolution breaks out. Um, and so he sort of sent off to play his part quite disappointing part in that war as well for him um, and that was where we can trace his name Foulweather Jack too because every time he tries to sort of pursue this French fleet the storm yeah. gets him. Don't talk to me about those storms we'd still be we'd still be, still be one big happy family I remember the bad weather so? of the American okay. war in the well kind of. <laughs> um, okay so uh, okay so then he has a son Jack mm -hmm. who's who's mad. He is called Mad Jack and we, 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 uh, we have one likely very unreliable print of him um, and this is sort of the first time he from the first time when he explodes into the public scene and that's because he's having an affair with a married marchioness um, and all the newspapers are gossiping about it and and he gets a special sex scandal column in one of the um, magazines of the time but he's had he's, his dad's been absent a lot when he was growing up i feel a bit sorry for him already um, I, I was looking at this. He was he was away for some of the time, but most of the time, there's a good two three year chunks where he's stationed in Plymouth, which is just down the road. So I think it's been he's been framed as this absent father, but I think most of the time he's probably maybe he unless he just didn't go home. I'm so sure. mad possibly. So Mad Jack is um, making a name for himself in all the wrong ways. Yeah, yeah. He's he's from a very young age. Um, I think as a teenager he's convincing his dad to let him have bits of inheritance early and then going off and spending it on swords and new jackets and stuff like that. So he um, he knows what he's after in his life and, and it's very quickly gambling and women and uh, yeah. I, I won't say he's mad but he, he wasn't great either. <laughs> I want to say the George Best and the rest of it he wasted. Uh, what and how does he grow up to how does he he has the poet at some stage does he yeah so he has this first marriage actually this first affair um is so public um and this uh, lady Carmarthen, who he has an affair with falls pregnant she confesses to her husband lord Carmarthen, and he obviously throws her out so these two quickly get married um i think she's eight plus months pregnant at this point. Which is that unusual married. in Georgian society that there'd be an, would it, an actual divorce and then a remarriage? It's it would certainly have been very expensive. So I think, I don't know, I'm not sure. 
um, why Amelia, Lady Carmarthen, would quite have done that unless she was just besotted with Jack and felt like she had to be with this man. They've been having an affair for a few months. Um, by all accounts, they were having a great time <laughs> as it came out in the sort of court case about it. Um, do, you have, do you get details in the court case? Yes, yeah, so it's all transcribed. It's brilliant. It's all these tales. The servants are giving their testimony, testimony and it's all, uh, you know, we heard them giggling behind the closed door. And when we went in, the sheets were very much tumbled. And we've seen him creeping around the house with no britches on and all this sort right, of thing. Right, well, that's pretty, it's brilliant. That's a, that's a smoking gun. It's damning. It's very damning. Um, so they get married. So they get married. They have three children, um, of whom just one survives. And this is Augusta. And she's a very big figure in the poet's life later on. Um, and then Amelia dies a year after that. Um, Jack sort of rocks around, spending money. Um, he's done all right after this marriage because she was very rich and he's got some of that, uh, or has benefited from that at least. Um, he goes off to France, he stays with his Aunt Isabella, who's my Gainsborough portrait lady, um, gets some money out of her, spends that. I think that she convinces him to go back to Bath, to England, to find a new wife, which is what he does. Um, he goes to the assembly rooms of Bath and uh, very fashionable society of the time, and there he finds Catherine Gordon, who's a Scottish heiress, and this is the poet's mother. And within a matter of weeks, she's totally seduced. Um, they get married in Bath, they don't even leave. Um, and then the poet is born about three years after that. Um, he abandons them fairly quickly. Uh, when the poet's two and a half, he, he leaves. Uh, money problems again, he's spent all of her fortune. Um, has a bit of an incestuous affair with his sister in France while he's living there, and then he dies. He has an affair with his sister in France? Yes, so it's it's a bit of a weird parallel in that obviously one of the things that the poet was most notorious for was having a sexual relationship with his half-sister, Augusta, um, Jack's daughter, but uh, there's a lot of correspondence. It's at the Bodleian Library, and um, it is all of Jack's correspondence to his elder sister, Fanny Lee. Um, sort of, it's very hard not to come to the conclusion that they they were having a um, a sexual relationship, unless he was just being a total weirdo in every letter that he wrote to her. But it's all full of you are the most handsome woman I've ever known and it makes me so mad that you are my sister. Um, I, he gives tales of all these women that he's having sex with, um, courtesans and actresses and all of this, but then he'll s make some really inappropriate comment like, um, I, I have been with all these women, but whenever I do anything extraordinary underlined, I always think of you. So it's very much like... Wow. <laughs> a bit grim reading, really. Um, but his letters, they're always sexually charged, always really inappropriate. Um, so yeah, it seems that while they were in France, if not before, because they could have been doing this their whole lives and just the letters don't exist, um, don't survive. So that's a grim end wow. to, to uh, his uh, story, really. Okay, so. and so then the poet comes of age. Yeah. And w uh, is the poet's reputation for sort of sexual licence and um, adventure. I mean, wh wh what elements of, of, of his reputation do you think are fair? Probably most. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. I think, I think we've got such an amazing um, sort of survival rate of his letters. He was a prolific letter writer, um, and I'm sure there are many that haven't survived, but there are so many left, and it's, 
you can see in them how he's presenting himself to different people and with different stories and sometimes he just can't help but reveal a little bit too much about some affair that he's had with some woman. Um, when he was at Cambridge at university, he and his friends had the sort of coded language for their um, uh, sexual relationships with boys as well. So the sort of um, homosexual code kind of thing that they had for them. So it, r it runs through his life and um, he was gen generally <laughs> Here's the, uh, the this the big the big question that we always ask us about Georgian, but also Victorian society is like what is, what it, to what extent is this family unusual? Yeah. Uh, to what extent are the kind of superficial um, customs that seem to govern social interactions in, within the aristocracy within the just a sort of front for like like you know savage boozing and shagging? Like what what's the what, what do you think? Do you think this family that you've managed to track is actually had something weird going on or do you think they were just they were pretty normal? Mm, I think um, with the poet himself obviously loads of attention is drawn to it because he's such a public figure and because he relished it so much he liked to sort of be this enigmatic character coming into a ballroom and all the ladies start swooning because you know they wish that he would ruin their reputation sort of thing. Um, with his ancestors it, it was a, a self-professed era of bawdiness and boozing and all, all that as you say but they do come up with weird regularity in sort of these sex scandal columns so Fowler the Jack who's otherwise from oh, not foul from weather. this perspective uh, is other you know he's quite the gallant character but he he turns up in this sex scandal column and everything's laid bare about his affair with a teenage chambermaid when he's in his mid-fifties right so okay. there's no there's no right proper goodies and baddies here they're all sort of um Involved. Well, th there is maybe one goody who was Byron's daughter. Well, this is true. She didn't have to put up with any of <laughs> any of their nonsense, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's probably beyond the range of your book, I guess. It is. So, so my book, um, the poet kind of frames it, um, but it is the pre prequel to his life, and he turns up in 1798, and for the most part, that's the end, the end of the book. But of course, these are all ages. Yeah. Relatives These as well. Ada so Lovelace, so for mm. everyone who doesn't know, who was the possibly the first world's first computer programmer. Mm. She came yeah, up with the remarkable. idea. Of, yeah, amazing. What a family. They're great. I love them. I'm so glad to be able to tell their story in this way, f I think, for the first time. I mean, it's been done, sort of, there's been academic studies and there's been 2,000 year long genealogical studies, but this is really getting to the nitty gritty of how they viewed the century and. Um, Lots of things that haven't been revealed before. So. As someone who's obsessed with the 18th century, this sounds like a must read. It's just a completely different take on it, and it's a lovely, lovely way through the, the century. Thank you. <laughs> the book is called? It's called The Fall of the House of Byron. It's drama. It sounds dramatic. It does. Was <laughs> it a fall? Was it because I guess they were, they were they rich, and then by the they time... They were the fine. At the beginning, actually, the fourth lord, they, were, they, were, they weren't wildly wealthy, but the fourth lord um, had made Newstead this amazing mansion. It was very much admired. He'd been sort of a careful, cautious money keeper. So when the fifth Lord inherits at 13, he's got a decent enough fortune. He runs through the whole thing and more. Um, and then, you know, by the end of the century, Newstead is literally a ruin because he's not been able to afford to afford the upkeep for it. So Cool, well, you know, um, it's the fall of the House of Byron, but um, it must have been a hell of a ride. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you.
hope you enjoyed the podcast. Just before you go, a bit of a favor to ask. I totally understand if you don't want to become a subscriber or pay me any cash money. Makes sense. But if you could just do me a favor, it's for free. Go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you give it a five-star rating and give it an absolutely glowing review, purge yourself, give it a glowing review. I'd really appreciate that. It's a tough world out there. Law of the jungle out there. And I need all the fire support I can get. So that will boost it up the charts. It's so tiresome. But if you could do it, I'd be very, very grateful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.